0: What is it? Who is it, Martin? It's that big grey batter gangster. No use of wasting your bullets, Martin. They cannot harm that. Batter. No, sir. Gee,
1: he's crazy.
2: They're all crazy. They're all crazy except you and me.
3: Sometimes I have me doubts about you
2: assalamu and welcome to the mad moments podcast my name is sim thank you for joining us this wonderful labor day evening we have a wonderful show for you guys we have the man himself ahmad sheikh aka uh what's his name What's the guy we just saw
1: i wasn't watching the clip
2: assalamualaikum (laughs) uh van helsing is who i was thinking of Ooh, okay that was from a a clip from dracula and then we have our man from uh the east coast activist Raja abdul Haq. and we have my man (laughs) mort from buffalo new york assalamualaikum everyone how y'all doing
3: alhamdulillah
1: guys have a great
2: uh, labor day weekend how was everything time off (laughs) Good. Yeah, always
3: good. Yeah. 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 good we have time off.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So, um, Ahmad, I know someone who didn't have a great Labor Day weekend because of you. It was <laughs> probably <laughs> Dr. Sherman Jackson would probably uh, be uh, not too happy since your article came out. Now, uh, let's, <clears throat> as I was thinking about how to do this episode, because uh, you recently went on uh, Daniel Hakikachu's show and you talked a little bit about uh, your article itself. Let's just, um, I want to do a little bit different um, type of episode and along different lines. So uh, let's just go ahead and and give a brief synopsis of that that article that you released, and then we'll talk a little bit more about various things related to that article.
1: So my my overall concern just has to do with uh, the fact that we in the Muslim community are a lot of us um have this this notion of American Muslim exceptionalism that we're just so clean and so wonderful and and such a light among the darkness of the ummah and uh, and everyone else is bad and we're somehow good. And my my problem with that is if we if we actually look at the, the way the Muslim community operates, we are or we can be just as bad as just as as anybody else. Um, and and one of the problems that I have, um, with the way, the way things run within the Muslim community is that there is a lot of corruption. And, uh, and the big problem with corruption isn't that people are corrupt because there are always going to be people out there that are going to act in a corrupt or abusive ways. It's just that we are so tolerant of corruption and bad behavior. And, and we're, we're often just really passionately tolerant of it. And, uh, if we're going to point to something that's, uh, that's going on that's not good, people will jump right all over you that uh, that how dare you this per- this is such a great wonderful person who's such done such wonderful things um how dare you and uh um and that, that's what ends up protecting um bad behavior um, and, uh, and so, um, we have somebody here and then, and I, this, this only came up that this is, unfortunately this particular article, and we can talk about why this is or how, how things like this happen, but this article has been in my back pocket for like three years now. Wow. Um, this is all information that I've, uh, that, uh, that I've for the most part known. Um, but, uh, what happened was, uh, Ali Al-Arian wrote an article and he, he basically grazed the issue. He had a much bigger he had, he had a he had a much bigger area that he wanted to cover than than, than Spray and Jack. praise
2: what i call it <laughs> right you, you, so, you ever play any uh, call of duty or anything like that
1: no i haven't and, actually
2: uh, well what you do is when you're a noob and you don't know how to play the game you just walk into a room full of enemies and you just start <laughs> to hope, you know hope you yeah, get everyone so,
3: so so where this comes from is me and sim used to play a video game and you know all these young kids are great at it so he would just walk in and, like he, we, you know, we just started play, playing and we just get like this random first level submachine gun that nobody knows and we just walk in and just right. start spraying everybody to hopefully, kill, you know, get a target and nothing happens, but yeah.
2: yeah. Right. So anyway, right, right. But, but your, just to play off that point is that your article was so much more targeted than Ali's and that's why it's so much more important that we have this conversation because right. uh, we we really need to figure out what exactly? What? First of all, we we many of us know what CVE is, but why was it that a Muslim leader was really important and in, um, in playing a pivotal role in developing the CVE program? And I think um, if you want to touch on that subject, you you can go ahead and, and do that right now, or um, maybe if sure. you get Roger to talk about. It.
1: So, so to the extent that his his CVE work is important. Um I'm actually not not sure. Um uh how how well it how how pivotal it was for uh, compared to all of the various other things that I've read um from in the CVE world. Um and one of the reasons was because it came out in uh, in November of 2016. And one other really important thing that happened in November of 2016 is that Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. Um, and and this was for an audience of Hillary Clinton. Um, but it uh, it it's not just an audience of Hillary Clinton necessarily. But the, the how important this audience is, I'm not exactly sure because beyond what happens in the federal and state governments, uh, I'm not completely aware. I do know for, for example, I went to um, I went to a uh, um, board meeting. I went to a meeting once, and I was uh, I was there with uh, um, with one of uh, with with a sheikh who's involved with uh, with CVE. Um, and he just happened to tell me that, you know, he was, he was with Sherman Jackson at a meeting of NATO, the North American Treaty Organization, uh, on CVE going over his report. Um, and so to the extent that this is internationally important or important in, to Muslim communities elsewhere, um, I am not aware. Um, the other part of this report is that it was junk. I mean, it was basically, there wasn't very much actionable in this report other than give people in the CVE industry more money. Um, and, uh, and so I the the report itself is not anything that uh that was in- incredibly influential um, um, it, my, my concern with it wasn't necessarily the report itself, which is one of the reasons why it was in, why it was in my back pocket for all of these. Why was it in
2: years. your back pocket for, for all the, all these years?
1: Well, I mean, it was public information, right? I mean, yeah. it's not like I was holding the secret or anything. I mean, yeah. you know, there's, there are a number of, a number of people who are opposed to CVE that knew about this. I wasn't the only one. Um, one of the reasons was my, my concerns with, um, with this particular with this particular engagement of CVE, which is what you know, with a private organization um, that was funded by the UAE, and there's this overall problem of uh, of, of, shi- uh, of shi- uh, shi- uh, that are in that are involved with uh, with the UAE, and and to what extent is this actually outrageous to the rest of the Muslim community? I'm not exactly sure, right? I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that this is going to if I'm going to um right about it is this going to be a target that's going to hit very well or not so the target that i had you know the the primary the primary targets uh, of my work with respect to cve one is one is the muslim public affairs council and at at a certain point you know you can figure okay they're just they're just low hanging fruit they're just they're just there and they're just easy to they're just easy to to bash and nobody they don't really have that much respect um from large segments of the muslim community anyway so it doesn't really do very much at some point to talk about, um, the Muslim Public Affairs Council outside of my area, which is, which is the Los Angeles area. Um, and then, uh, other places, uh, you know, like, for example, uh, CIOGC. I, I've written a little bit about that. Um, and one of my experiences with something like CIOGC is that I don't want to talk about other localities very much, say Florida or Houston or Chicago, um, because if other local areas don't mind CVE, they don't really have an activist infrastructure. They don't really have any Muslims that care one way or the other about CVE. Um, They have uncles, um, you know, integrating themselves with the police and becoming the eyes and ears of the police. And if everybody knows it and everyone's cool with it, who am I to say, you know, that this is is right or this is wrong. I know in the Los Angeles area, this is totally wrong and we're going to do whatever we can to oppose it. Um, But, but in terms of the reach that, uh, that that articles like this might have or how their, their their ability to actually affect the Muslim community, I'm not exactly sure, outside of the Los Angeles area.
2: Um So, <clears throat> Raja, why do you think there is this need for having a... I mean, we know from the colonial times that there are spe- specific heads that are always used by colonial powers to represent a minority. Can we make a correlation from those... Events of the past to programs like CVE. Why it's so critical for the U.S. government to make to have a um, someone that represents a community that they can bargain with or exchange ideas with or have um, some kind of discussion with.
0: Well, I mean, first of all, I, I, I kind of uh, just a little bit disagree about the, the piece by Ali. Uh, not just because Ali is a friend, but I think what Ali tried to do in the article, and again, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but kind of explaining what I got from the piece is to actually highlight and bring to the surface the the, the political naivety of the Muslim community. And he gave in examples uh, of uh, specific Muslim leaders and scholars, no matter, sometimes you can disagree about uh, these naiveties, uh, but there are facts that we cannot disagree on. And, and I, I know Ahmed has been working significantly in the issue of CV and this is not this is this is factual that this is something that we cannot disagree on we can't say it's a difference of opinion etc but what Ali did is highlight some of these political issues that we have uh, in the Muslim community when it comes to dealing with the UAE dealing with CVE dealing even with uh, with state pro state uh, uh, sanctioned programs like um, CVE and other programs uh, programs as well so I think that piece brought up and I if, if you go back in time a little bit there's another piece that took, that came out in the milestones uh, journal uh which also kind of uh tried to draw a comparison between Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and Sheikh Omar Suleiman uh and of course i, I, I definitely disagree with that comparison i think there is there is there's not even remote relationship between both of these imams i think one of them even if you disagree with Sheikh Omar Suleiman on certain things the, the, to to argue that he is the same spectrum but in a different uh, uh, on the opposite uh, uh, direction of the spectrum, I, I think that's not uh, that's not accurate at all. Um, it, it, there's someone who is uh, working closely with tyrant, and there's someone who is making political uh, moves uh, in hopes to uh, help the Muslim community. Whether you'd agree or disagree with, with with these moves, but to we can't compare them both. However, yeah. when Ali came in, and I think he highlighted some of these other issues that the Muslim community are shying away from and i think now discussing even uh, uh the program at isna right now you know isna is happening this weekend and there's a lot of issues if you take a look at the panels and the panelists in some of these programs a lot of these names are problematic some of them were speaking uh was a guy who not only is he you know pro cve he's a guy was proud of giving information to the Mossad, to working with the Israeli intelligence agency. And this guy is invited to Isna to speak. And this guy came from London. You can only imagine how much it it costed to bring this guy to Isna. So someone wonders, uh, uh, and and we wonder, I mean, especially after that piece by Ali, why do our Muslim leaders, whether scholars or just political leaders or organizational leaders, continue to make such moves? Why do we need to invite someone who is working directly with the Israeli intelligence to come speak to our Muslim uh, uh brothers and sisters in a conference what kind of message are we saying now bringing Bernie Sanders we can you know agree and disagree on it but at the end of the day he's a he's an American politician that you know exists you deal with him in different in a different ways but a bringing so you can you can you can you can understand the argument of bringing him uh but to bring in someone who's working with the Israeli intelligence that just uh Mind blowing. So these are some of the issues that we're facing as a, as a Muslim community, and I think it's important. And that's why I think the piece, the piece by Ali is important, and even the piece before Ali and my songs was also important. Even though I I disagree with the analogy, uh, um, the, the, what what is, being, what is being happening right now, and specifically to what you said, Amran, in terms of uh, colonialism and CVE programs. And I you know we we appreciate the, the research uh, Ahmed has been doing this on this for many years, along with other people. Um, but there is another component to this when it goes back to, I don't even go back in time, but it's also important to. C- to contextualize CVE in the social political uh, realm uh, that we're dealing with, specifically after September 11 attacks. After September 11 attacks, there's something called War and Terror Campaign, which is kind of the slogan or the, the campaign that uh, the, the United States and other Western countries uh, agreed uh, to invade Muslim, con- Muslim uh, land, specifically in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the concept of War and Terror Campaign goes or starts from the idea that every single empire in order for it to uh, legitimize its foreign policy, it has to create a boogeyman. It has to create a, 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 a like a, a fear that the national, uh, 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 the national, uh, the, the, the the national discourse will agree that there is a uh, uh, that we are united against one enemy, and that enemy is Islamic terrorism. So they needed to create this program CVE. To not just so-called tackle uh, homemade uh, uh, terrorists or, or whatever they call them or homegrown uh, terrorists, but basically to create a, um, a political discourse that says and can analyze to say that we are not just going to Muslim lands to kill Muslims and invade it and steal its resources, like Clinton bluntly said, but because we are dealing with an Islamic extremism that we must uh, uh, target and we must tackle. However this rhetoric and especially that started with uh bush before before the programs of cve bush was a, a hardcore uh um you know war a war uh, uh uh you know he, he wanted to basically shred up as they call him, like the the hard hard power uh or prominent where he wanted to just go and, and start destroying the country and, and 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 come up with the idea of access of evil and whether either you are with us or against us when obama came to power and that's the difference between the Republicans and Democrats. And the, the Republicans are so clear about their hatred to Muslims. They're so clear about we're going there because these guys are barbaric. These guys uh, utilizing the Orientalist uh, uh, rhetoric that these Muslims are barbaric. They're pre-modernists. They are pre modernist they do not understand this world. They're, they're, they They want to kill us. They hate us following the clash of civilization theory. But when Obama came to power, he realized that this rhetoric of us saying that you are either with us or against us doesn't work anymore in this in this uh, uh, time of uh, of age. So he came up with this idea of the CVE. So he started with Obama to say that we're not there uh, fighting Muslims. We're only fighting a small group of Muslims who are terrorists, and we need you Muslims to help us to fight them. So if you actually think about that, think about what Bush said about you either with us or against us, it's the same exact thing. Bush said that you're either with us or against us, against Islamic terrorism. And Obama says, oh, I'm not saying all of you are terrorists, but those who are not terrorists need to stand with me against those who are terrorists. And this is what Mah- uh, Mahmoud uh, Mandani uh, said before, which is the concept of the binary or the economy of good Muslim versus bad Muslim. So actually, Obama came up indirectly, of course, with this dichotomy that Good Muslim is a Muslim who believes that there are bad Muslims, there are terrorist Muslims that we need to undermine. So finally, come to, to how does this uh, uh, even affect Muslims in in the West? If you actually, even before Obama gave, came to power, uh, when the U.S. was invading Afghanistan and Iraq, the image of U.S. in the Muslim world was was destroyed, right? All of the Muslims around the world saying, you know, America is an imperialist power. America is colonizing our lands. They're killing Muslims everywhere. So they needed a way to uh, following JF Kennedy. Uh, uh idea of winning uh hearts and minds and that started in vietnam as all of us uh know and that's basically uh uh the the soft power uh and the wing of the u.s imperialist project which is basically led by the u.s uh aid which is the u.s agency of international uh uh, uh what do you call it um, development uh, an aid uh, which basically it's shortcut to USAID. So basically uh what this 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 program this uh, uh, soft power wing of the US government deals with the concept of winning hearts and minds which started in Vietnam. So what the US government did even before Obama in the time of Bush hired Muslim comedians Right, and some of them are the names of Dean Ubaidullah, who's now out of after September 11. He's an he's a half Italian, half Palestinian. Before September 11, nobody even knew anything about him. After September September 11, out of nowhere, he came to be the Muslim comedian. Right? Yeah. Uh, so he he left his his legal practice to become to focus on on comedy. And out of nowhere, he became the Muslim spokesperson at CNN. Every now and then, he writes stories and articles. In CNN It's not even funny. yes i mean besides that i mean that i'm I'm, i don't have a good sense of humor so you would know more than me but the idea is that (laughs) me and and me and and mort would laugh at these guys all the
2: time like man is muslim comedy so such a joke now but anyway i'm sorry go ahead yeah
0: no no worries so this guy went on and other individuals uh went on tours paid by the u.s government and if you actually look at the archive of the u.s uh uh, foreign uh uh, or the u.s state uh website and and they had a website. uh, the, the I forget the name right now it's called something the eyes of the us or something like that they have stories of them in 2006 2008 uh 2007 about these tours going to afghanistan going to united emirates going to jordan and even sometimes in even in iraq to go do tours in english to tell the the local population that we are american muslims and we are telling you that america is nice now they don't come on the stage and say that. But when you have an American comedian who speaks in English, paid by the U.S. government to go to these countries and do comedy tours, then there's a reason behind this. The the reason behind it is winning uh, uh, hearts and minds. So in summary, what I wanted to get to at the end is that the U.S. government is very interested in these programs because to them, if they cannot uh, have Muslims join the army to go go kill other Muslims, the least they can do is bring in Muslim into this imperialist uh, war machine uh, uh, and and this horrible foreign policy by bringing in Muslims to become part of the empire through being involved in the CVE programs.
1: So this is- Raja, I have a a question for you. Um, So so the US, um, particularly with the Democratic Party, they want to create these good Muslims and these bad Muslims. In a sense, that's no different from say, um like the raj or any other colonial project that's that's just what they do um yes. what does the united emirates united arab emirates want to do to have to do with american muslims why are they so interested in us and our scholars and whatever it is that we do why do they care
2: well
0: i love this question but, yeah this this question is very uh, complex and we can look at it from different perspectives uh, the these, these winning hearts and minds campaigns require local agents to do the dirty work of the U.S. government or any, any, any empires or any colonizers, right? This is just ABC. If I'm, I'm a person who live in any country and there's a, an American soldier who comes in, I'm not going to listen to an American soldier when he tells me you need to modernize your religion but when you have another imam who lives next door comes and tells me you need to modernize our religion i might entertain it and we i discussed this on on madman Luke's before uh, uh when we discussed about rand uh, uh think tank that they came up with few a few pieces uh recommendation and rand is you know funded by the us government to argue that in order for us to win hearts and minds of the muslims we have to Support and give platform to so-called modernists and, and even some level of traditionalists, uh, specifically uh, Sufis, who they said we need to support them because, excuse me, they can help us in a program of of of, passi- of the pacification of Islam. So, Emirates right now is actually leading this effort. And actually, in two thousand fifteen, before anybody talked about this issue, I even wrote an article in the Middle East Monitor and I warned against the Emirates' efforts because, as a Palestinian, I witnessed it firsthand in two thousand six when. Hamas won the election in Gaza in, in Palestine the United Emirates paid millions of dollars and trained Palestinian militias to uh, to create a coup against the uh, democratically elected Hamas because the west was not interested in in doing this and it goes back to even this is historically when you talk about colonialism let's go back to to Iran in 53 when they when they staged the coup against Mossadeq Mossadegh was a, even he, he was a leftist he was uh, he came to power after the Shah the ruling of the Shahs and and he wanted to nationalize Uh, oil in the country, what they did specifically the British uh, intelligence and with the help of CIA they said we need to create a coup against this person by creating a sense of uh, dissent against him from his own people because people are not going to listen when there's a foreign occupier coming in and telling them so Emirat is doing that, is leading the effort they're spending the money and they're most importantly interested in undermining uh, 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 the so-called Islamists or political Islam. Emirat feel Specifically after the Arab Spring started in two thousand and eleven <clears throat> excuse me that the only competition they have uh, 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 to stay in power is the Muslim Brotherhood. They think that the only organized political parties that can actually win against them in in free democratic elections are the Muslim Brotherhood, so to them they need to uh, not just beat them in, in a political sense, but they need to uproot them from the whole society. They need to demonize them. They need to render or relegate them into, uh, barbaric human beings who don't believe in the modern world the same way they did in Egypt. So if, if we talk about the coup in Egypt, the, you know, United you know, Arab Emirates has, has been behind it. And then they supported all these so-called scholars who were speaking against Ikhwan, were speaking against political Islam, were speaking against even Muqawameh and, and anything else. So in summary, Emirat is interested as I mentioned to, to do the role of colonial powers in, in, in the region they're also interested in staying in power and in order for them to stay in power they have to get rid of all the political rivals and finally when it comes to political organizations and you touched upon it in your article and we talked about it uh, before uh, the concept of uh demonizing american muslims in this country specifically uh uh organizations muslim organizations that were created by uh muslim brotherhood uh uh individuals who left the muslim world and came here the majority of them when we talk about Iqna, islam all of these organizations all of them were created by muslim brotherhood uh, uh uh brothers and sisters whether they came from overseas of course they have no organizational ties with back home but their mindset is is a is a is a ikhwani uh, uh mindset so to them, undermining and destroying these organizations in the West not only serves their interests overseas, but it also wants to uh, give service to to Trump and, and to the, U, the U.S. government tell, by telling them, if you don't want to go that route of demonizing your own citizens, I'll do it for you to make it easier for you. And finally, I'll say this: is that some scholars, and I mentioned this before, is that once some scholars, uh, political scientists, uh, argued that the the Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia uh, uh, offered its service to the U.S. government to de-radicalize nation of Islam back in the 50s and the 60s. This is actually not a historical fact that they came and they said to the American uh, uh, administration that we are the, the vanguards of Sunni Islam. We can help you get rid of these crazy, uh, quote unquote, crazy nationalist uh, tradition of Islam by de-radicalizing them, by bringing them to Sunni Islam. So sometimes, they, and of course, the U.S. administration told them, get out of here but basically they they're trying to offer their services because they need the protection of, of the US
1: government. Well, so what I'm th- what what was thinking of. I'm sorry, uh, did you did you want to yeah, go, well, go on?
0: You know,
2: go, go ahead and let us just, just finish that.
1: So what I was actually here what I what, what I was thinking of was uh back in the 80s when the Saudi Arabian government was uh, this was illegal to do for the US government uh, they were funding the the Nicaragua Contras. Absolutely. Right. Um and and the purpose behind this wasn't necessarily that they cared about what happens in Nicaragua. But they just wanted to ingratiate themselves with certain interests in the United States. So, so when, when the UAE donates a million dollars to the NYPD, um, intelligence division, do you, you, do you think that they just didn't care what the NYPD got? And it's just, uh, they just wanted to, Go along with their program, um, the, the,
0: and, and they would just be willing to pay for it to ingratiate no, they, to somebody. They know exactly what they're paying their money for. I mean, the mm-hmm. NYPD has programs with the with the Israeli army. They train them how to deal with so-called. Uh, militias and guerrillas and, and local terrorists. They they train them. They could learn train together. There is whether we like it or not. There is an axis happening in the Middle East that is led by Emirates and and, and US and, and Israel and even a little bit of Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, uh, running the show in the Middle East. You you look at Libya. Look at Yemen. Look at Syria. Look at Egypt. Look at everywhere. Even Tunisia. Even as a matter of fact, if you go to Somalia, who Somalia actually kicked United Arab Emirates generals out of the country because of the the issues they're creating in the country they literally are going around the region destroying the region they literally are acting as local uh agents for for the colonial powers that's exactly what's happening so they know exactly what's happening in NYPD intelligence uh uh uh, uh, branch and they they they're in support of it because they work together and I think in your in your in your piece you beautifully highlighted the relationship of the international uh, co- uh, uh, community and international powers and key players into advocating for the CVE program. The CVE program is right. not just something Obama woke up one day and he came up with it and this this takes time. I want to give example about the NYPD when we talk about the broken window policy. This the, the, this government and the the and this is the issue we discussed last time here is that governments especially the u.s government they don't come up with something like one day they don't just wake up one day and there's a politician or there's a president who says you know what i'm gonna do this today no there's think tanks that come up with proposals and ideas and tell them this is good this is bad and if you take nypd for example they have a policy they claim that they ended it now it's called broken window which a lot of people are are, uh, aware of it and a lot of the black lives matter movement is against this which basically the whole theory the, the two guys, two professors came up with it, said, you know what, in order for us to avoid crimes, you just need to be very tough on pity crimes. If anybody does pity crime, just throw them in jail for a long time. That in, directly will trickle down into making people afraid of, of committing bigger crime. And that's basically why a lot of uh, blacks and Latinos were thrown in jail for pity crimes for a long time, because of these issues. So these issues... Take a long time for them to be developed. they need a lot of research, they need a think tanks behind them to support them, and eventually it became a policy. So I don't think the NYPD will receive one million dollar uh, out of Imarat uh, unless it's something that is being discussed and and and, and approved and, and and as you know you're as a lawyer and you're very aware of the uh, financial uh, stuff more than me is uh, cities cities take a long time to process some, these kind of funds. And the right. the the bureaucracy of it is very complicated. That not even one penny can enter and leave without it being like very thoroughly uh, uh, discussed and and, and legitimized.
2: Well, uh Ahmad, how much did they get? Um, how much? Do you have any numbers related to how much? A lot of these people who are involved in CVE, how, do you know what the payouts are like, or no?
1: Um, so, uh, in some, in some instances, um, the payouts are well into the seven figures for, for certain types of grants. Um, and, uh, and I've, I've seen, I've seen several of these grants that are not necessarily there's, there's the one that's you, that, uh, that, uh, that you've seen and most Muslims have seen, which is the CVE grants act grants that went out, but there are a number of other grants that come through the department of justice and through um, through various uh, through various academic institutions. And the first types of grants that we've seen actually came from academic institutions. Um, one of the interesting things that Raja mentioned was uh, these think tanks. And the think tanks are, um, and this, this, this goes into the Sherman Jackson issue as well, think tanks can be very influential, and frequently they're funded by foreign government sources. And when we try to do things like FOIAs or uh, public, uh, State Public Records Act requests, they're immune from those types of requests um and so we only know what they tell us on their websites for the most part um and so this is this is an opaque part of uh, of how CVE is uh is is developed um and uh and so so that's that's a that's that's one of the parts of ac- accountability that we would need to look at um a lot of the a lot of the CVE money went frankly to non-muslims um and uh and non-muslim institutions uh the amount that goes to muslims and muslim institutions um has been from what I can tell, um, quite small. Um, normally you have somebody who's from an academic institution, um, and, uh, they will function as sort of the CVE Santa Claus and subcontract out a bunch of their stuff, um, to, to various Muslims, um, in the community. And, uh, and frankly, I mean, it just, uh, the reason why a lot of Muslims will move away from CVE, um, is because it's just not worth it to them. Um, you know, it's just I don't I don't think uh, generally speaking the money is worth it for them. Most of the money is going to go to uh uh to other institutions. But yeah, the the money the money in C V E, just like any other national security type program, uh could be immense. Um usually you put out a request, um you um uh, you will put in a bunch of buzzwords in there uh about uh community based solutions or uh law enforcement you know, there there's gonna be a bunch of stuff yeah. and uh you're gonna write a report and you're just gonna repeat the words that came out uh in a different format. I mean, these reports are generally garbage, but they're going to be paid very well for them. Um, and uh, this is this is the kinds of things that uh, that we see over and over again. Um, well, from, what, what uh, from can the,
2: what can the average Muslim community in the U.S. Um, there's thousands of people from the U.S. who listen to this show. What can right. they do to tell their uh, community members, their masjid uh, institutions, and whatnot? how to combat cve what what's the message they can say to their their uh, Majid board or their president
1: well um i think this is one of the things that uh, that we discussed uh, previously just i think i think there's a there's a fundamental weakness in our institutions uh, spe- specifically with the uh, with the ulama with uh you know with our teachers and uh people are not vetted i mean we we have isna isna bringing a bunch of people from the national security state we don't necessarily know who they are um, whenever it upsets us, people respond to community pressure. Wajahat Ali didn't last very long after his Atlantic article because it upset people. And yet there's a lot of people who are far worse than Wajahat Ali that are getting platformed not only at conventions, but uh, um, at various masajids all over the place. And we don't necessarily care
2: um, so because well, we don't know who they are. would recommend People, for example, let's just say Isna, there's ICNA as well. I don't want to just mention one organization. Right. There's many different organizations that are doing uh con- conventions and things like that. It's up to right. us to contact these these organizations because they, they count on your support. They need the public um they are they're, they're they're operating from public opinion. So if you're unhappy about certain people who are uh, active players in C V E getting the podium, make sure you reach out to these organizations and tell them, like, hey, I don't want to see this person on the stage. Is that correct?
1: Right. I, I, that's, uh, that's absolutely correct. As somebody who was, uh, you know, who was involved with an, organiza- with an organization like this before, um, you know, I think the biggest concern isn't that, oh, there are these people out there complaining about what we're doing. The bigger concern is nobody's complaining because nobody cares, right? I mean, then you lose complete relevance to the community. And you know that you're pretty much in a death spiral. The thing that you really want is active engagement. You want people to go out and become members and say, "Hey, you're doing this wrong. I want to volunteer and I want to be on your programming committee. I want to run for election and be on your board." You know, there there you know there needs to be people who care about what happens uh, at these at these institutions um, and and point out that look, I mean, you if you're if you're not if You're, you're subjecting our children, right? Our entire families to these national security hacks and these, these Zionist, these, these weird Zionist Muslim speakers. Uh, What, what are you doing? Stop it. Right. Um, and if they're not going to hear this from people, there's just going to be quiet grumbling here and there. They're not going to, you know, for the most part, board members, they're not actually paying attention to programming. They don't know what's going on. There's a programming committee. There's volunteers. There's this whole infrastructure of people that are doing all of these things. Um, and, uh, and you, you need to be able to, uh, to reach out to them and tell them there's a problem. If you, if they don't know there's a problem in advance, nobody's going to know.
3: So Ahmed, do you think that a lot of this, I mean, I've been listening to what both of you guys have been saying and, right. and I kind of want to touch back on what a little bit of what Raja talked about too, was, um, something specifically about the Rand Institute. And, uh, and, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I remember Looking into the article that the or the report that uh Cheryl Bernard wrote back in 2006, I think seven, it was called okay. Building the Moderate Muslim Network, and that right. was the name of the entire uh. And if you look in that verbatim, it's pretty much what Raja was saying that you know what, they're they're they they are they 1st of all, they identify all these Muslims, they say they, they kind of compartmentalize them and say these are radicals, these are moderates, these are Sufis, these are orthodox. And then they go on to actually just lay out a plan on how they plan to engage potential partners. They actually describe in detail what would possibly make somebody a moderate and then how do we engage them and what kind of lessons they've learned from in the past. So my question is, I, I guess this is the main thing. Do you think that by making this information more available to general Muslims that they would be, I mean, awoken? Because... Right now, I don't think most people realize to what degree they actually are planning and plotting against Muslims in terms of trying to manipulate them, right? I mean, we're talking right. – and this is – if you notice, this is kind of prior to just like a really huge blow up of social media. Right now, even now in CVE programs, they're incorporating things like PSYOPs and things – like they're actually targeting – Muslims with advertisements and things like that, or, or clips and videos on Facebook and YouTube and stuff that they want them to see repetitively so that it changes their mindset. So what I'm saying is I think you want Muslims to kind of push back, but I just feel like that Muslims don't know about it.
1: Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, the the great thing about this is that you don't need a very large number of Muslims to push back. Um, most of the time Muslims are going to be apolitical or they want to get go along to get along. Um, the FBI, the CIA wants to speak to your youth group. They'll be like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. That's uh, That sounds like a wonderful idea, right? Um, and if you get like a few Muslims willing to push back and say, hey, what are you guys doing? That would usually be enough because most of the time people don't want to court controversy within the community. Um, if it's something that they find is going to be troublesome or they just see an argument against it they're, uh, they're, or, or they, they just they just want to they want to avoid it. Um, and, wait, and so do, you think, they, do
3: you think it's that or do you think that it's actually mm-hmm. saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe I'm coming off to the government like I'm hiding something. And that's why I don't want to be involved with the act, because, you know, the common argument is, hey, if you have nothing to hide you know, what's the problem? Right. And and so, right. kind of, I mean, if you are an American, what's the problem? And I guess I feel like people see that not cooperating with these programs is showing that you are un-American or showing that you have some type of animosity or you're trying to hide something from the government. You see what I'm trying to say?
1: Right. No, I understand. So in Southern California, for example, we have this historic, very toxic relationship with the, with the FBI and the Muslim community that just hasn't gone away over the past uh, over a decade, I guess. Um and so the Muslim community here is going to be a little bit different from the Muslim community in other places around the country. Um having having said that though, um I think for the most part um we want our government to we we have this we have this bias that we want the government to protect us, right? We think that the government is there um because we we pay our taxes and uh they're protecting us from from various sorts of crimes and uh, et cetera. And, uh, you know, there we, it's our security blanket. We, you know, we feel safe at night or we, we feel safe for our families and our children because these people are out there and they exist. Right. Um, and, uh, and so it's going to be very, very difficult to reach out to Muslims and say, Hey, um, well, what about this history? What about COINTELPRO? What about this or that, or what have you? I mean, it's going to, um, it's, uh, it doesn't necessarily ring true to people, um, for most people, right. Mm-hmm. That, uh, uh, that the government or the federal government or the federal law enforcement or even local law enforcement or what have you um is a problem. Um and so you might have to um when when you when you deal with the Muslim community in general, we're not we're not a community of civil libertarians. We're not a we're not all a community that's everybody's everybody's read a people's history of the United States or or whatever there is out there, right? I mean it's it's not like that. Um a lot of a lot of people are they're just uh they're just uh, people who want to serve the deen. They want to be at a board at the masjid um and they just want to do right as best as they know how. Um and so you need to be able to work with that particular
3: structure um right. pretty
1: much anywhere that you go.
3: Um Right. So yeah. so I think in, in terms of this though so in, mm-hmm. I, what I understand is CVE has targeted not uh, they mainly target the community through community leaders if I understand That's that right. Right. That's absolutely so true. So with that I just kind of maybe want to ask Raja a question on this is so as Sim mentioned and even um Ahmed mentioned earlier that there's a really keen interest from foreign Muslim governments in American Muslim, like Mashaikh or or community leaders, right? So what is that relationship looking, I mean, what is that interest besides just kind of influence or trying to see what Muslims are doing? But is there a deeper motive here between the the, the sheikhs or, or leaders that are here that are receiving all this benefit money and maybe even political gain from working with, you know, the CVE programs or other programs like this and then dealing also with foreign governments like the UAE or Saudi Arabia or other places like that. Is there a, a, a deeper, I guess, an agenda here that most Muslims are not aware of?
0: Uh, I mean, before I, I, I go there, I just wanted to uh, um, just add something to, to what I was mentioned a little bit earlier because I, I feel it might be uh, important to mention. I think that would, and it's something I would like to discuss in a little bit too, if I think Iran might have it in, on his radar. Um, the The issue of, of how do these people and and, and i can I can get to answer your question more as well how do these people get away with stuff and why are they invited to conferences and I think it 's a reality we have to come to um, uh you know terms with, which is our unfortunately our national conferences have lost the plot. Basically, they're becoming into, as one of, I don't want to mention his name because he attends these conferences. He said that these conferences have turned into religious uh, entertaining conferences, where it's just an entertaining conference with some some religious uh, aspect to it. So to them, bringing in someone, even if we don't agree with them, uh, as long as they bring me the crowd, it's okay. Whether they say something against Islam, against Palestine, against Kashmir, who cares? As long as they give me the crowd, Nobody cares about what he said in the past or what she's working on, what kind of problematic programs she or he is being working on. And this is a real problem. And to be honest here, I don't blame the people because the people, for the most part, Muslims tend to trust their leaders. And when they see a conference or an organization uh, um, that has been around for many years, uh, plan a conference, we'll just for the... For the most part, we just trust them that they're going to be bringing in people who re- not only represent our morals and values and ethics, but also share se- same common grounds and common uh, priorities when it comes to Muslim issues, uh, whether it's from local all the way to, to overseas. So that's part of the problem. And I think the reason uh, uh, this is not changing is because of what Ahmed said earlier, is that people are not challenging uh, the leaders enough. They're not challenging the organizational organizations enough. They're not changing and holding them accountable. I don't want to go into another topic unless uh, Umran uh, uh, wants to discuss it later, which is I want to really talk a little bit about this uh, response uh, to Ahmed's article that is called About Accountability. Is this something we're yeah, gonna yeah, we can discuss earlier? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, Now or later? Yeah, we can do it now so i i have uh <clears throat> and, and before i go there just really quickly more uh, well
2: before I, before you just give the listeners a little bit of an idea because i think that article just recently came out so yeah, what, yeah. what okay. that was
0: so really quickly uh to mort just to not ignore that but I, I i think for the most part the problem is the it's internal here and i think Imarat and other countries are all are only helping within that program so i really think it has to do with the fact that the west still sees that there is a problem with muslims Problem with Muslims in assimilating and integrating into societies to endorse the materialistic worldview. Uh, this because this is what's happening. This is the worldview now. They want us to to separate the moral from the political, the moral from the social, and that is a problem. Muslims, unless. A, a, a Because unfortunately, and this is something we're going to discuss in a a, a second, that there is a lot of uh, uh, leaders and and Tawlab ilm are uh, starting uh, to uh, talk about Islam as if it's uh, a Catholic religion. That there's a separation between the politics and the morality and the ethics, and that's very problematic. So So, so before you get into that next thing, uh, uh, the reason why I asked this was uh, a reason, because this
3: kind of goes back to what you were saying originally. In that report that you mentioned earlier, it talks about working with leftists and bringing out social justice issues that would perhaps motivate women and the disenfranchised and making them put on this leftist-leaning lens and using that as a tool to try to break down and say, okay, we're advocating for all rights of people. We want to separate the old from the new, and we're progressive. And I feel like now, with that strategy, I feel like what American Muslims are doing is also influencing what's happening overseas. Like I look at Saudi Arabia now versus 15 years ago,
0: and it's just a completely different place. Right. So I, I think that's a very important question. Uh, Quickly, if actually people read the RAND recommendation and reports starting from 2003, 2004, all the way to 2006, 2008, as you mentioned more And when I first read them three years ago, I was like, how are we not paying attention to this? They straight up have a plan, one, two, three, four, five, how to pacify Islam. Yet when we talk about it, when Ahmed writes an article about it, when Ali writes an article about it, when I talk about it, people start questioning, oh, you're questioning our leaders and this and that. And we say, look, what we're saying is not... because we want to bring back, bring down these collars, but because there is a blind spot to them that they're not paying attention to. Please go ahead and read it. And if you read it, you'll be like, these guys are so uh, uh, full of themselves that they don't even care to hide it. Like, these reports and these recommendations are public. Literally, if you search them right now, right Rand uh, uh, Building Muslim uh, uh, Democratic uh, uh, Networks, you literally can find it online in, like, the first or second uh, search results in Google. So it's not something to hide. Now, the the issue here, when it comes to end, and just to be fair, I don't think they mentioned left in, anywhere in, the, in these articles, but they're saying, and, and unless I know what you mean, you mean talking about the left uh, movements and, and, and priorities, but the yes. issue here, and this is this is the, even the problem with the responses of Dr. J- uh, Sherman Jackson and even the doctor, uh, I mean, Imam uh, Zaid Shackett, their responses were problematic because instead of responding to anything Ali said, they started a uh, uh, character assassinating him They started drawing a racial uh, uh, division between Muslims in the U.S., specifically Dr. Sherman Jackson. And I think what, what he did, and I'm really glad that Ahmed still responded with that piece because his whole article, which was more than 2,000 words, I think, Right or something like that. Uh, literally, the whole thing was talking about the issues between uh, uh, immigrant Muslims and Black Muslims, and he really drew something that is very dangerous. And I got a few some well-known, uh, you know, national scholars are are telling me that we've not we have not seen such a division in a long time. So unfortunately, someone like Dr. Sh- Sherman Jackson, instead of saying, "Look, Ali raised concerns. Here are my answers to them," instead he started. Uh, character assassinating him, start calling him someone who knows nothing about Islam, a, a social justice boy and all that nonsense. And even Imam Zay Shakir accused him of inciting against the, the killing, uh, inciting a killing against police accusing him of reading Marx and, 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 and Nietzsche and all these uh, 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 materialist uh, uh, scholars, which for the most part I think it's important and I think Muslims should read them because that's how they understand the Western world. Because we as Muslims only know the Eastern world. If you want to understand the Western world, you have to read these guys. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I think it was a, really unfair of him to do that because he basically was calling him a nihilist. It, it, exactly, not only you know, a nihilist. A I mean, post, he post called him that at the end. Postmodernist. Post
2: called- I think, I think he was yeah, alluding eventually. to him as a as a postmodernist. Yeah.
0: Yeah and, yeah, and that's that's pre- very problematic because every time, and it goes back to what you're saying, Mort, is that every time you question anything that is sanctioned by a state, we are automatically labeled as leftists, social justice warriors, and all that nonsense. And this is exactly what happened. And these reports that you mentioned with Rance, their their focus was on gender issues and sexuality issues, and specifically the issues with women, the issues of hijab. They even talk about that if you have more hijabis walking around, that we're doing something wrong. We have to change that right so there's they they clearly say that in 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 these reports so what they're doing with these questions is not that they're advocating for leftists because these reports are way before the social justice movement that we have right now is because they understand that islam doesn't play well with the with the theory of modernism. The issue the the Western v- worldview about uh, modernity doesn't work well with Islam because Islam has issue has has worldviews and has ideas and values that are not are don't work with the rigid system of Western liberalism. Right. So to them, in order for them to unpack and destroy Islam from within, we have to go to the youth and tell the youth, listen, your Islam, these traditionalists, these Salafis are are savages, the barbaric. Please pay attention to 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 big thing, and it goes back to an article I wrote uh, two years ago in Muslim Matters, which is uh, about identity politics, and uh, and I said from unveiling Algeria to identity politics because uh, 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 French uh, colonialism in in Algeria uh, early on I, I said that Franz Fanon, another leftist uh, thinker, but and, uh, but according to these to these scholars, I'm a leftist because I'm, I read these guys. So Franz Fanon reported. Right, and he was uh, one of the most radical decolonial uh, 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 scholars that are very important for us as Muslims to read. He said that in France, uh, in Algeria, the French generals came up with the idea that the Muslim men and women are working together against our colonialism, against our occupation of Algeria. And to them, the the, the Muslim woman who is behind the veil all the time, we know nothing about it, right? nothing about her. Right? We need to get to her. To force her to fight against her man. To make her believe that Inter, there's an intersectionality between her and French woman against the barbaric patriarchal husband that lives with her so what the French general wanted to do is in the process that it was called unveiling Algeria was to remove the hijab of the wind but not literally just removing the hijab but to basically get to them to convince them that you need to, re, to, uh, to need to revolt against your patriarchal husband or brother and father because they're keeping you living in Behind the veal so we're helping you to get rid of that veal So the idea behind this is not that the French care too much about Algerian women they used to kill Algerian women just like they killed Algerian men but to them there's no way that they can destroy the Algerian resistance without destroying the popular support of the Algerian resistance which is women because women raise raise warriors right? They raise the new generation. They feed the warriors, and some of them were fighters themselves. So, in order for you to destroy the resistance, you have to destroy the main pillar in the resistance, which is the family, which is the the women, the aunts, the uh, the, the the grandmothers, the sisters, the, all of these, all of this support system that exists has to be destroyed. In order to destroy them, is to make them go against their men, and that's what Rand report basically wanted, wanted to go to, uh, to say that these are some of the ideas that Muslims need to start discussing internally, so they can. Leave Leave us alone. Start focusing on their own issues, and let us occupy Palestine, and occupy Kashmir, and occupy the rest of the Muslim world, where everybody's busy and killing themselves rather than uh, focusing at, the, at a Western uh, uh, colonialism.
2: Um, Ali, a lot of this, I, I've been trying to piece together since we had our show um, a few months ago. Uh, with I think was a Usad Gilan was on the show, and then you came on, and ever since then, I've been trying to piece things together and things just didn't really make sense to me. And I wanted to hash out some ideas with you and I wanted to see if, uh, if you guys are seeing things the way I do, and maybe we can, um, have a better sense of things of, about why this, this sense of engagement is happening on an international level, especially with the, the way, uh, Abdel bin Bayah and uh, Hamza Yusuf have been engaging with the UAE. And the first uh, first thing I need to uh, I need to make sure I understood uh, at least from a, a premises perspective was that Hamza Yusuf and Abdullah bin Bayah, they know what they're doing okay before I was operating under a premise that you know they're naive and they're trying to do good but that you know uh, whatever the engagements that are happening are coming from a, 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 a a a place to, to do good, but they're being used by, uh, by these political actors. But as I as I thought about it, I realized that maybe it's not that easy. Uh, I think it may be more uh, related to what the situation is like in the Middle East. You mentioned earlier, Raja, that Muslim Brotherhood is out of favor in the Middle East. With the advent of ISIS, it looks like, uh, uh, and not just ISIS, but the mass imprisonment of well, quote unquote Wahhabi slash Salafi Shayukh across Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia that uh, Salafis are also out of favor in the kingdom and the UAE. Then I, I realized, like, well, you know, Abdullah bin Bayah and Hamza Yusuf, they may be. Working towards advancing towards a big prize, which is the Holy Land, the Mecca and Medina, the Haramain. You know, and maybe this is, these types of engagements are happening to set up uh, a bedrock of Sufi Islam in the kingdom. Because as far as you can tell right now, you see everything that is happening related to. All the the first of all the quietism from several of the ulema in in America, uh, not mentioning any single thing about uh, related to all the different scholars who are, are peaceful scholars who are reformist scholars like you know, Sheikh Salman Al Oda. You hear a, a pin drop silence related, related to this. Majority of the scholars are quiet about it. Well, why is it? Well, especially from this, from the Sufi camp, that you know you don't hear much about it, and there is it is it, is that too much of a stretch, Raja?
0: No, I I think you're absolutely right, and and there is a big problem. And, you, and you, is...
2: so you you think it, uh, I'm onto something with related to how uh, Abdullah bin Baya is engaging with Saudi Arabia and the UAE that he is he, trying to set up. Sufi, uh, his, whatever version of Islam that he sees fit in the kingdom. I don't want to make right. this Sufi Salafi, but it seems like right. it could be that. Wait,
3: wait, wait. Hold on. Let me get this right, Sim. So, so what you're what you what you're saying is that there are people who are quote Sufis that are being used to influence uh, certain factions in Saudi Arabia, and they want to instill people that are quote like Sufi, like in American context, like that kind of Sufi is. Yeah. Uh, because it's kind of an extension of their plan, because they've been kind of working on this plan, as Raja mentioned, about the the according to the Rand Institute about how they're just have this model for Muslims. So you think they're taking that model, they've made this American Sufi model, and now they're trying to replace the traditional al sheik in Saudi Arabia, yeah. which is quote, Wahhabi, with this new modern Sufi American.
2: Yeah,
0: I, yeah. Because if you, if, you I, about, I, if you think about if you think about it. Uh,
1: I, I'm not really bo- I'm not I you know, I'm not going to confess to being like an expert on Middle yeah. East politics, but I don't I don't see them being these um these grandmasters to yeah, to, I agree with a, phrase my, to a phrase from my to borrow a phrase from my article. I don't think I don't think that that's uh that's what's going on necessarily. Um, for example, in Saudi Arabia, it's probably just that, look, there's a new sheriff in town and, uh, you know, he's uh, he's moving from the monarchy to a dictatorship and uh, and he's acting more like in a more dictatorial, almost Stalinist uh, way. And that, that's not the way Saudi Arabia has operated in the past. Um, and now everybody just has to get used to it. So
3: you think that right now they're just taking advantage of a situation that created itself with Mohammed bin Salman? coming into power, they're trying to, to take it, as much advantage of that as they can.
1: Right. I think I think we need to probably separate what's happening to some extent with the UAE and uh, and Saudi Arabia. Those are not I don't I don't believe those are necessarily the same. Well,
3: What I'm saying those is the so why? they're well, allies, but
1: I don't think they're similar. I don't think they're the, the same dynamics are going on. in both. Right. Places. But what I'm
3: saying is I don't see why he would be so far off on that, because I mean, if we know from the RAND Institute that, you know, they have this model of Muslims they want to create. They know that they've got them working with the White House and certain CVE and broader programs. We know that their relationship with some of these dictatorial governments in the Middle East have gone closer, right, with Saudi Arabia, especially to the point where they're defending murder of journalism, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing this, right? So why would it be so far off to think that maybe they're trying to push this idea? Because think about it. In Saudi Arabia, we've seen the mixing of malls, movie theaters, concert, WWE, I mean, we're seeing a total, on the outside, it looks like this totally liberal society, but on the inside, it's a dictatorship, right? And right. so, but who's, who, I mean, the American Muslim doesn't mind these things, right? They 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 watch this stuff on TV all the time. It's totally normal for their life. And the sheikhs, actually some of the, the modern Muslim uh, Mashiach and leaders, they yeah. incorporate these uh, social norms into their talks, into the, into how they relate to people. So right. I don't see why-
1: my my impression. The the difference between say Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is obviously a lot bigger, much more substantial of a country. Um, but the difference between the foreign policies of say Saudi Arabia and UAE are kind of different in that the UAE seems to be. They seem to know what they're doing. They seem to be. I mean, they they're doing they're doing a lot of uh, really horrible stuff in the world. Um, but they seem to be doing their horrible stuff pretty competently. Yes. Um. From from what I can tell, and oh, I can't, right. I can't say that about Saudi Arabia. But, but would so, that be maybe?
0: So Ahmed, I, think okay, a, a, I think Ahmed is one hundred percent correct. I agree with him. Uh, even so, the the way, even I mean, you already mentioned it more. But the way Saudi, I mean, the the new state, the third, uh, uh Jamhuri as they call it, uh, the 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 way it was. You know, came into, uh, the way it started is because you have two families, two, two tribes, the Al-Sheikh and Al-Saud, they came together when said, we'll take care of power, of politics, one will take care of religion, as long as we work together. So it's, it's, it, I don't think, uh, because if you look at the history of Abdullah bin Bia and how he was working with, uh, Sheikh Qaradawi and the rest of the other scholars, he, he never had a plan like this. I think what, what's happening, and, and I know this is going to upset a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, this is the reality and we just have to discuss it. I think Imarat, uh, is, is actually using Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya and using Sheikh Hamza Yusuf for their own program. I agree with, with Ahma, mm-hmm. one, one million percent. They know exactly what they're doing. They're fulfilling their, 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 uh, 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 kind of, uh, trying to, uh, accomplish this model that was uh, drawn to them by the U.S. government to say that you need to lead the effort of pacification of Islam. You need to uh, to lead this effort of turning Islam into this passive religion uh, that doesn't go beyond these dogmas between you and your God or these rituals. All you have to do is, as Hamza Yusuf used to say years ago, just stay home, pray for God, and don't be bothered with politics. Yet he is going to Emirat and being involved in politics. But that, if you allow me, but, but 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 but, but
2: you're you're operating on a premise that that Shah Abdul Bari and Hamza Yusuf are, are naive and they don't know the territory they're entering. I'm no, saying that I'm true. saying that they're very smart people and they have objectives that they want met as well. And, right, um, and
3: what I'm what I'm saying is, see, think... here's the thing, Raja. I, I guess yeah. this is where I'm getting lost. I love the fact that you're assuming the best about these scholars, right? We should do that. And I think, but some of us Muslims have been burned so bad by scholarship <laughs> that it's hard for us to say, hey, wait a minute. You know what? These people are not dumb people. They're definitely not, especially they've been meeting leaders for decades now. And so think about it. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say this, that I'm sure that they understand what's happening, but they also have their intention to think, hey, maybe we're going to
0: play the system too. Right? Let we're me, just playing our own let me, way let me and tell we're you kind something. of using I, each other. I, I, I don't, I'm sorry to speak over you, but I, I, I'm not saying that they're naive. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is the same example of me going to sit down with, with Trump and think i'm going to be able to influence trump to lift the the muslim ban now I, I i can you can think i'm naive but inside of me i think i'm this master mind who's going to be to changing the policy of trump no, so you, what you're saying you and uh, and imran yeah. kind of it may it may it may make sense well, why why
2: did he say something about um uh, having a constitutional monarchy in this recent uh, episode or recent uh, interview he had in malaysia it was these these type of languages that he constantly saying that you know uh, we don't. We in Islam. There's no such thing as khilafa and things like that. And I'm like, we this this kind of stuff is exactly what you know the He's UAE is Saudi Arabia, for it's, it's,
0: it's very simple and Saudi Arabia, though, isn't it? Do, yeah, of do, course, but mostly,
1: mostly not, no. not really. Mostly Emirates Yeah. Uh, so so when he you know when when he actually um, goes on and says that the UAE is a tolerant country because they have a Ministry of Tolerance, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm just sort of thinking to myself, okay, war is peace, freedom of slavery, ignorance is strength. I mean, this is you know we're talking about uh, this is this is this is just bizarre stuff. This is a country where if you protest against the government, they will kill you. And he's talking about he's basically doing propaganda um, for the UAE. And and I think it's it's really important to think about scholars uh, of Islam or or people that are you know because I, I think with Hamza Yusuf, I mean, it's very similar to say somebody like Sherman Jackson. People feel feel really grateful for these Shuyukh, or I mean, I don't know if uh, you would call that, uh, uh, some people would to uh, uh, Sherman Jackson, and I know that a lot of people would not, but people still feel grateful for the work that they've done. And you can be good at that work, but also be bad at other things. So you can be like a really good scholar and be a terrible husband, or maybe you can't balance your checkbook, or you'll just be really bad at other things, right? You can be a politi- You can be a scholar and be a political hack and you can be a really bad political hack or be a good political hack, but you're still a political hack, right? And, and you can, you can do those types of things. And those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive from one another. So the idea that we have people that are supposed to be there, uh, are talking about Quran and Hadith and, you know, positions of fiqh and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and they're also out there attempting to play politics. Um, in that case, I think, I think it's a, it's a situation where, the rest of us within the Muslim community, we have to figure out. Well, okay, are you doing this in your position as a businessman? Is there something for you to gain out of this? Um, or what, what exactly is your end game? Are you trying to uh, are you trying to make the world safe for Sufism? Uh, and are you trying to do the? Are you playing the good Muslim, bad Muslim game? We have to figure all of these things out. And uh, and unless we have unless these people are a- accountable to somebody um, other than the UAE. Uh, we won't necessarily get the answers to these questions. We're just going to have a lot of really good adab and we're just going to be quiet when this stuff
0: happens. So if I, if I can add to that really quickly to summarize, when, 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 when I say that they're being used by Yamarata, of course, I definitely don't, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I'm not straight up saying that they're naive or they don't know what they're doing in terms of Abdullah bin Mia, Hamza Yusuf or they're just good scholars. I, don't, I think they're wrong. And I think they know they're, I don't know if they know they're wrong, but they're wrong. And they're, they're, they're making huge mistakes against the Muslim community. Uh, And I, I've, been arguing this for many years, even be- before these things became a uh, mainstream discussions. Specifically against Hamza Yusuf and Abdullah bin Biya, because because I'm very uh, invested in the Middle East. Uh, but 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 to point here is that uh, uh, Sheikh, ha- if you look at them, and then I, I see what you're saying, uh, Sim, and then I, it might that might be a good uh, uh, a good uh, um, point to raise. But my question is, where is the Sufi movement? that Abdullah bin Biya has created in the Middle East where mm-hmm. he's benefiting from. It's it's no He way hasn't he hasn't
2: but um, that's exactly. what I'm saying. So he's I'm being, saying that so he, he's he, being he, promised uh or maybe he's being he's trying to set up roots over there so that maybe uh, the U- University of uh, Medina becomes uh, Zaytuna. I, mean, I who really knows?
0: I really think it's much simpler than that. I think Abdullah bin Biya likes the attention of being of being honored as this amazing Sheikh al Islam living in Emirates getting everything he wants. Uh, has organizations under his name because all of his time he used to live under the shadow of Sheikh Qardawi. For him now to be his own superstar, and again, I'm sorry to say this, but this is kind of what uh, 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 the scholars back in the day used to say, that the reason why they stay away from sultans and stay away from from rulers in the fear of fitness. They were fearing the fitna on the nafs of being used by these scholars and I, uh, by these rulers. And I think this is exactly what's happening with Hamza, Yusuf and Abdullah bin Biyad. They are being used by Emirat to, to, to fulfill uh, their, uh, their agenda in the region, as Ahmed mentioned. Well, if even, Miami, well,
2: even, even like well, one of the things is about the, 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 even the Rihla retreat that they would do was moved away from Turkey to Um, yeah yeah so
0: turkey's uh is against him now that's why
2: (laughs) so yeah
3: exactly but no you know what the the other thing is that i I found this to be really interesting though okay well i'm sorry to cut you off Sim, but i'm gonna shake you might remember this do you remember that they tried this in america at a very early point and it was under hisham kabani when he addressed congress in like 1995 or four it was the state department Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he said he came out and he said 95 percent or 99 percent of the massages in America are Wahhabi radical foundations calling for like jihad, and like he literally got up with a straight face and said that right. And right. at that moment, he kind of kicked off this whole thing where, "Hey, maybe." And he, I think, to my understanding, he voluntarily went over there hoping to get gain, like good graces with the government. And I mean, cause he came all the way from like Lebanon and so, I mean, he was, well, he's not an American right. native. Right. And right. so a, a, as soon as he did that, we had a, a lot of these CVE, I mean, programs kind of like CVE that weren't exactly CVE yet, but you had different programs, and next thing you know, he's living live, living large in, in uh, somewhere in California. And this this movement that somehow nobody ever heard of before, it somehow was like the greatest movement of American Muslims ever in America and around the world. Like nobody knew who these people were until that happened. And I feel like that what happened was is America the, the, the government kind of moved away from him because I think that a lot of the mainstream Muslims were like, Hey, we don't know who this guy is. You can't just prop up somebody that we don't know you know what i mean and i think now they're looking for that partner and i think the uae and saudi Correct. arabia is also looking for that partner that is recognized because look real quickly one thing that made the wahhabi movement or uh a salafia that with the salafia in saudi arabia very popular is that people had respect for muhammad ibn al-wahhab uh, al Sheik family in general among those people they respect them And right now, they're trying to find a scholar like, for example, I'm not saying he knows this or he doesn't know, but a scholar like Abdullah bin Baya, a scholar like Hamza Yusuf, who has in some way impact people from a broad spectrum of different madahibs and ideologies in Islam, that people can relate to them. And I feel like they're looking for these people to prop up and say, hey, look, we can work with this government. We can work with that government. Let's say, you know what? We don't know what's happening behind the closed doors. Maybe we're going to advise them. Uh, I feel like they leave a lot of this gray area that we can't talk about it because we really don't know what's happening. So this we're, we're, we're supposed to assume the good. And 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 hope that there's something good happening behind closed doors.
1: I should say something about Hisham Kabani though. Um, that might be interesting to you. Um, Muhammad Hisham Kabani never actually went anywhere, and it's not like he was never he never got out of the government's good graces. Um, in the CVE world, he was actually a pretty big presence, and his organization um, got a lot of money from CVE um, related sources. So um, he actually had. Uh, one of, one of his murids. uh, this is, uh, somebody named, uh, Hidayah Mir Hamadi, um, headed the, an organization called, uh, Word. I think it's called the, what is it, the World Organization for Research and Education or some such thing. Um, and, uh, they took in, they took in quite a bit of money, um, for CVE in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, and, and they had this, they had something called the Montgomery County, uh, project. And, uh, Hisham Kabani was an advisor on that. And that was, that was a complete, uh, uh, that was actually a complete Hakani Kabani um, operation. Um, after Trump came into office, Hidayah Mir Hamadi went full Trump uh, supporter um, and started dating Sheriff Clark, and it became like a whole thing. You can look it up online. It was very, very weird. What um, but, Right, it was just this whole bizarre thing that happened. Um, I, I think I think some people took the some people in the CVE industry took uh, took Trump's election really hard. Um, and uh, and so it was some, some, some really bizarre stuff happened. But at least during the Obama years, um, the uh, the Kabani organization was was doing quite well, um, and they were still relevant.
0: Yeah. So if if uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I want to uh, just move on with with a few points, right. if it's okay, just because we. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, you that was know pretty- no, 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 no because not what you said. I think what you said is important <laughs> that people pay attention to these things because you know, right. when, when he makes a comeback, people will just forget all these things. So it's important. But to me, because we discussed this in the past, I, I, I don't like being involved in the intention, I really don't care about intention, I care about what is in front of us. And it goes back to when we discussed uh, uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and Abdullah bin Biya, and we discussed this last time in depth. But I really am interested in, in in looking at as well the issues that came out as a response to Ali's peace and even uh, uh, Ahmed's uh, peace, which is the concept of accountability. And I know there's a response uh, for Ahmed's peace. I don't know if you read it, Ahmed, but uh, it's called... Yeah, something about, uh, we are to, uh, let me see if I can find the title. Yeah, Tariq uh, Ata, and he basically, um, the name of the piece, basically, the title of the piece says, uh, criticism, uh, yeah, criticism, accountability, and the exclusion of Quran and Sunnah. Basically, he's saying that critique, critiquing Ahmed, uh, Sheikh's critique. So basically, the, the thesis of this is that we should not be holding uh, scholars accountable in the US because we're not scholars and we're not using Quran and Sunnah. And to me, this is, yeah, yeah, and I'm sorry to say it's one of the weirdest things I've heard. Uh, not only because it's Islamically invalid, I'm not a sheikh, uh, uh, but you know, this is really problematic. Basically, this is how we create corrupt leaders. This is how we create corrupt scholars. And this is how we continue to be living miserably as Muslims in this country and anywhere in the world. Because everything to us is we don't hold or we cannot hold uh, leaders accountable. And he brought in a few, I'm going to talk a little bit about the issues of, of what he's saying Islamically speaking. But he said something about, he's saying if if the Prophet ﷺ did not hold Usama Nuzaid accountable for killing someone in, in battle then uh, with no punishment there was no punishment for him. How can we hold these Muslim leaders accountable when they make mistakes? Not only is he comparing these Muslim leaders quote co- unquote scholars because a lot of them don't really uh, uh, good to deserve the label of being a scholar. Right. scholar. I, don't, I don't mean this in a subjective way. I mean objectively speaking, being a Muslim scholar is a big term that unfortunately in the US, anybody who reads Quran is called an imam. Anybody who says a couple of stories is already a scholar this is a problem i'm not saying this to undermine anybody i'm just saying objectively islamically speaking there's a problem with the terminology and the labeling of these uh, of these uh, uh, some of them are just mere preachers right so he's comparing a companion to some of these uh, political uh, muslim leaders and in addition he's saying that the only way we can criticize uh uh uh, uh, when people invoke the stories of how Abu Bakr, when he came, he became the Khalifa. He said to people, "Criticize me if I make mistakes." He's saying that uh, uh, the only reason why this is okay is because the people who are holding him accountable are companions. Basically, saying that the companions and the people who lived at that time, and as we know, there's something called Adalat al-Sahaba. Of course, not all of them are in the same level, but basically, uh, they're def- they don't make major sense. Even though we know in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they were uh, companions who actually made major sense as we know the people who committed zina some who were drinking alcohol like al-habashi and other and other other companions so not all companions are in the same level of course right there's just average people so when abu Bakr was talking to people he was not just talking to uh, umar and ali and uthman anhu, he was talking to the people it's the idea of having a shura and having accountability but i want to ask the question too does that also mean when Sayyidina Umar, when, when people were complaining to him about that the maher was too expensive, that men were not uh, being able to get married. So he went up to the to the minbar and he said, you cannot ask more was it like 12 dirham uh, as maher for women anymore. And a woman stood up and she said, how dare you uh, uh, to question the Quran and the sunnah? And he said, what do you mean? He said that, you know, she gave him an ayah that you basically women can ask for whatever they want or they or men can pay whatever they want for as as mahir, as dair, right? So what did Umar say? Asabat imra'a wa akhta' Umar. The woman is correct and Umar is incorrect. So we don't even know the name of this woman. If she was some important companion, at least we would know that when the hadith or anything, a narration that we know, they mentioned the name of it. Same thing when Sayyidina Umar was going around that night and he uh, uh, overheard. He was eardropping to a family uh, of a mother who was cheating in the milk and adding water. Now he could have thrown her in jail or punished her. Punished her. But why didn't he do it? Because he was not supposed to be eardropping, anyways. So if he's a companion that, uh, or a sahabi that he's beyond criticism. He would have just t- told the woman who told him, "You're not allowed to be idraving on un- our house to begin with." He would have she would have told him? Uh, uh, he would have told her, "You know, no, nobody. You can't listen to me." So the problem with this is that you're making Islam, uh, uh, Muslims, and humans untouchable. You're making them angels that they cannot send. You're making them uh, uh, as, as as people who don't have the nafs that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created. Uh, that is amar That is trying to compete with us. If these companions. Or these scholars that we have today are people who should not be questioned. Then there is no point to have acts of worship. There is no point of fasting. There is no point of uh, 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 as a Muslim working to rectify your your character, right? Because otherwise, why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is asking us to rectify our character if some of us are the, the scholars are in a different level? And of course, his argument is not that simplistic. He's saying that. Only people who have Islamic knowledge should be questioning these people. But I don't want to even say that there is, you know, scholars, big scholars, much higher caliber scars like Sheikh Qaradawi, Sheikh Dadu, uh, uh, and, and many other scholars in the Middle East who are criticizing these issues and criticizing Hamza bin Bia, uh, Hamza Yusuf and Abdullah bin Bia. Day and night, every day, there is criticism to them. There is Scholars in, in Palestine are saying in working with Zionists is haram shara'an. There is a fatwa on it. Uh, uh, working, with, Normalizing with Israel is haram. Visiting Israel is haram. There is fatwas on this. How come we're not paying attention to this and we're only paying attention to certain fatwas that are okay specifically coming from Hanza Yusuf and Abdullah bin Biya, when not paying attention. So fatwas are coming from legitimate scholars who are saying things that we as American Muslims do not like, right? So those, all of these things are very problematic. And I want to summarize something, if you allow me, uh, because he invoked the issue of uh, Ibn, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, when it comes to involving with uh, the rulers, and Islamically speaking, there is always has always been uh, two approaches in dealing with rulers, and specifically, we're talking about uh, uh, tyrants or hakim al mutaghallib or like the unjust ruler. And the rules of engagement with them, or what's called as a Dukhulu al-Hakim, scholars have separated in two different levels. One is that scholars who allow Dukhulu al-Hakim, allow engagement with the ruler, the tyrant ruler, under the condition that their engagement is only to advise them. To uh, basically to avoid their corruption, and this is what Muhammad uh, Ghilan has, Dr. Ghilan has been saying is that how come you don't know that maybe Hamza bin Diyah is, is is advising Bin Zayed behind closed doors to not massacre more people, and of course the argument it doesn't hold water because if 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 is he advising in advising him and he's killing this amount of people in Yemen and engaging all this corruption, what if he's not advising them? He would just what commit a holocaust against Muslims in the region. So I don't understand what kind of advisement or what is he. Helping 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 us to to curb from uh, bin Zayed and the rest of the United uh, 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 government. So we have scholars like Al Hassan al-Basri, Imam Malik, and Shafi'i Ibn Jawzi, and even Shokani who said that this engagement is allowed as long as it's done uh, uh, to enjoin what is good and forbid what is evil, and under the condition that you think that by engaging with them, you're uh, 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 avoiding harm or you're listening the harm against the Muslims. But they're making it clear, or before I say they're making it clear, uh, 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 the other branch or the other approach is to not engage at all. And, and scholars like, uh, Sufyan al-Thawri and al-Fudayl ibn Ayyad and Abu Hanif and Imam Ahmad famously is known. These scholars say under no circumstances you should be engaging with the tyrant ruler because the mere engagement is a legitimization for this tyrant ruler. And you as a scholar should not be legitimizing them. And these scholars are saying that, uh, 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 saying that in order, if you engage with these scholars, you're opening the door to corrupt your nafs. Because they say that, and specifically, uh, uh, Sofiyani Thawri, he says, that we are on a straight path, but if you see us going to left or right, don't follow us. And he's saying that to the people. And then you have a brother who says, well, we can't say that because we're not, we don't have scholarly experience. You have Imam. Imam Ahmed who says fitna, fitna, Naslam Fakaifa Minhum. Uh-huh. He's saying that sitting with the tarrent rulers is fitna. I mean, seeing them, seeing them, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, getting close to them is fitna. Sitting with them is fitna. Even we, if we're far away from them, they're unjust to us. Imagine if we're close to them. There is a lot, I can, I can, I can write that, I can tell you a lot of sayings, a lot of, uh, fatawi by these ulama specifically who talk about that we should not be engaging with that. Tyrant rulers period. Now, both of these approaches, and the scholars say that the second approach, which is to prohibit any engagement with these scholars with the tyrant rulers, is is mostly uh, the approach of Ahlul Hadith and the the the, the, the first uh, generation of Salaf. The Salaf and the Khalaf usually were so uh, 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 adamant about not engaging with talent rulers. But the later on, the muta'akhirin are the ones who said, You might do it as long as it's for enjoying good and forbidding what is evil. However, both of these approaches, engaging and not engaging, have made it very clear that this engagement should not be used to legitimize the ruler. It should not be used to flatter the ruler. It should not be legitimized to go around on TV and say the United Emirates is the most tolerant country in the world. That doesn't engage that. It doesn't mean that you host uh, uh, an event uh, about the so-called promoting peace in the Muslim world uh, in a five-star hotel in the United Emirates and it gets paid millions of dollars that cost them to, to host this amount of scholars in the country. And most importantly, it doesn't mean that they pay your salary. And as we, as I explained last time, the, the majority of the organizations that at least Abdullah bin Biya runs are funded by United Arab Emirates. So even the engagement that, uh, this brother Tariq Atta is saying that is allowed by some scholars is conditioned to not being, uh, to, uh, to share flattery, uh, for them. But let me get to Ibn Taymiyyah, which is the most important one the scholars say that the reason because Ibn Taymiyyah's uh, uh, approach is uh, different than both of these initial approaches of the scholars and his approach is that you are allowed to engage more than joining what is good and forbidding what is evil because he, he looks at the story of Sayyidina uh, Yusuf when he was uh, uh, the finance uh, minister back in in, in, in in time but his the reason Ibn Taymiyyah was saying this is because his time was different than the times of the, of the rulers before the, the, the scholars before. The scholars before Islam and Sharia was the prominent understanding of the world, the prominent, uh the dominating constitution, nobody dares to question Islam, nobody dares to question Sharia but at the time of Ibn Taymiyyah we have Al-Maghul and we have the Qatar who coming around and, and occupying the Muslim land and, and so much corruption, right, so to him he said if we, he calls it the Abdu' uh, al where if it's not if it's not clean all the way It's okay, engage as long as you can help uh, mitigate the the harm against the Muslims. However, Ibn Taymiyyah himself, he said, or as we know about him, when he was meeting with one of the Tatar uh, leaders, his name is Qazan, who claimed to be Muslim, uh, but he uh, occupied Sham and he massacred Muslims, He Sheikh uh, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah went to visit him with other scholars to meet with them. Uh, to tell him that stop uh, killing Muslims in Sham, get away from the Middle East region and stop killing Muslims and stay where you are if you claim to be a Muslim, right? If you are a really a Muslim ruler. So when they first went, started, uh, when they first went there, the this uh, Qazan, this leader, the Tatar leader, asked the scholars and Ibn Taymiyyah to eat. All the scholars ate with the exception of Ibn Taymiyyah. And Ibn Taymiyyah, when he was asked, why didn't you eat? And this is the scholar who this brother quotes as allowing engagement with tyrants, right? He told him, how can I eat from food that you cooked it with stuff you stole from Muslims and you cooked it by the wood that you butchered from Muslims that you stole from these Muslims, basically. And after they're done with the conversation, so he refused to eat, meaning he went there in dignity. He went He went there to engage with him, to tell him that you are a tyrant, you need to stop your turning against Muslims. Once they were done, this ruler, Qazan, uh, who is again Muslim? He told him that make dua for me. Ibn Taymiyyah said, "May Allah bless you if you do if you doing the work for the sake of Allah. But if you're not doing this, if you're doing this for yourself, may Allah destroy you." Basically, so the scholars who were with him told him, "How dare you do something like this? You almost got us all killed." And 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 he and they told him that we will never go around, uh, 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 around with you to these uh, to these rulers because you're making us and you, you're threatening our life. You know what he told him? It doesn't even he said it's not even fitting for me to be to be around scholars like you. So even this guy, uh Sheikh uh, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah that is being used or invoked there by himself, he did not mention Imam Ahmad, even Imam Malik, who, even though Imam Malik is pro-engagement when it comes to enjoying good what is, enjoying what is good and forbidding what is evil, Imam Malik said it's not it's forbidden to go and uh, quote-unquote fight for these scholars when there is a, a Torah or a revolution against them. This is the guy who was for engagement. And finally, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, when he used to live in uh, Egypt, uh, when there was the tatar uh, or Maghul, I'm sorry, Maghul in, in, in Egypt and Sham, he used to go to these rulers and tell them, if you don't stop your corruption against Muslims, I'm going to be inciting people to revolt against you. So this guy, uh, Sheikh Al-Islam on Bintaymiyah, yes, he was pro-engagement. Yes, he was saying that it's okay to go work within these, organ- these in- institutions to mitigate the harm and bring uh, goodness to people. But he was very clear about his condemning of of tyranny, of him being very blunt uh, for his criticism against this, this tyrants and against these rulers. But if on the other hand, when we talk about Dr. Jer- Sherman Jackson, and I'm not comparing him to Sheik Hamza Youssef, but since he's defending himself so much that Chairman Jackson has never, uh, at least in my in my what I've seen, I might be I might be wrong. I've never seen him يعني, uh, uh, criticize CVE or speak against Emirates or speaking uh, even against Sisi because when he explained himself why joined, working with Sisi, he did not say Sisi is corrupt or Sisi is a tyrant and Sisi is, uh, is a, is a, is a, is a uh, he killed, he committed a massacre. He said there's, you know, some, some violations. So he even undermined what happened in Rabah in 2013. So what I'm saying is that what we've seen nowadays, unfortunately, it's not just the pacification of Islam, but they want to turn they Muslims as priests, Catholic priests that are untouchable. And the reason for them not being untouchable is because they want us to just follow without critiquing, follow without holding them accountable. And if it was only following with, with things that don't affect us, don't affect the life, lives and deaths of people, I wouldn't even care. But if not speaking against people who engage with the Emirates who killed thousands of people in Yemen, uh, uh help Israel in occupation of Palestine, uh, commit coups in Egypt and trying to do things in Tunisia and causing the, the death of thousands of people, What, what do you mean I should not be criticizing these callers and holding them accountable? It's my responsibility to hold them accountable because it's obvious in my, like, it's clear to everybody that Emirates is committing, is committing crimes. It's obvious. It's, it's obvious to me that Obama used to drone Muslims, drone Muslim weddings. So if I engage with him and only defend him and don't come out and say, Oh, I go to Obama to tell him get out of the Muslim land. I'm just going to uh, fix his CVE program to make it less Islamophobe. Basically, that's what's happening. So invoking (laughs) these... Yeah. I'm finally just want to say that invoking these ideas, I'm going to talk more about even the criticism to, 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 and the, the, the uh, of Ali and, and, and Ahmed of, of then just being leftist and all that. In we'll talk about it in a, in a little bit. But I really wanted to highlight this issue of invoking, uh, uh, Sheikh, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah to, to legitimize these dangerous issues. We're living in a different time. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah ibn Tiam did not engage with, with occupiers of Muslim lands. He did not engage with tyrants in, in, in this way. It's, it's really mind blowing. Act- Funny
3: enough, Ibn Taymiyyah actually ended up leading a jihad against them, <laughs> against exactly. the Mongols. I mean, it wasn't even, I mean, that was the point that, hey, your I- idea of Islamic rule is not the sharia that we know. You're mixing your own laws with ours, and we don't recognize your legitimacy. And so he ended up actually fighting against them. So I think... Uh, honestly, there's actually I, another
1: point also about Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah. Um, and and I find it just amazing that he was quoted so liberally um, in, this, uh, in this piece, is that... Uh, in various national security agencies from the U.S. military on to, uh, uh, ver- to all sorts of CVE reports, including safe spaces, um, Ibn Taymiyyah comes in as somebody that if you read this guy, you're probably more likely to become a terrorist. Um, that's actually safe spaces as well. And so um, to, uh, to actually defend, safe sp- to, to defend CVE engagement using, using Ibn Taymiyyah, um, uh, the irony was just a little bit too far on the nose. For well, me. the funny part weird. is that
3: the people that are, um that have worked on the CVE programs, <laughs> right. they would classify that anyone who reads the books of Ibn Taymiyyah or <laughs> Muhammad al wahhab are likely to be what we call jihadis or, or Salafis or wh- wh- whatever they want to call them, right? But right. they actually look at it in a, a, in a negative way. They don't want people to read that material uh, so much because they feel like it's more associated with this a strict version, rigid version of Islam. And so I find it very funny that he used th- that scholar out of all the scholars to quote something against you and then and, and and say he, that to justify
0: this. Because I mean, he because probably didn't he, know. <laughs> no, I think he knows because it, because clearly if you go uh if you go as I mentioned earlier the two approaches of Muslim scholars because if he went to Imam Ahmad and Imam Malik and these scholars he cannot use them to prove his point. He only needed Sheikh Abdullah. I mean Sheikh bin Taymiyyah because bin Taymiyyah has a very complex position on this. And Unfortunately, the way he presented it was and in my humble opinion, I think it was unethical because he did not explain the complexity of the position of abdullah of Sheikh ibn Bayan. and, I, and more to mentioned that he led the jihad against the Maghul because he realized that these guys are just playing around with us so this idea of only taking a little bit of islam and and, and, and that's it and, and nothing else is very dangerous but also here and, and again and I'm sorry I'm taking long but because these things are I think important to focus on is the idea that how did this whole conversation turned into activists versus scholars? When did we ever, at least, you know, I don't think in it's Ali's pieces right. or in Ahmed Sheikh's piece, anybody says, Oh, we need to criticize the scholars. Absolutely not. With all due respect, when he criticized Sherman Jackson and, and, and Imam Zaid and he, those are the t- only two like people with like religious, uh, 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 background. The rest of the people in that list were like just, political activists none of them are actually a scholar like a hey, lot of them Roger, are... l- let's be honest for a moment sorry
3: to interrupt you but why did that uh i mean the way i understand it is this is not an islamic government this is not islamic politics this is a, a, a secular pol- political arena so what a scholar may say about a political a secular political arena is independent of his scholarship when i see a scholar mm-hmm. entering that arena i don't Absolutely. look at him as a scholar anymore i look Absolutely. at him as a politician a political if, agent uh, 100 so why do we give him this uh this this uh, cloak of you know infallibility when it comes to politics right i tell you I mean, why it's it's, it's it's appalling to me
1: because if you get it get it right i mean if yeah, you can because- be out there and be infallible and uh, you get a you get throngs of people who are personally offended when you criticize them
0: uh, use it, use it to your advantage. I mean, if you got a cult following, you know, you've got to milk it. And as a matter of fact, in addition, I 100% agree with Ahmed. They, they take advantage of this uh, so-called uh, poisonous uh, meat of of scholars, which is an Islamic to begin with. But, you know, these these guys, as Ahmed mentioned, like if they if you work with politics, then you're not a religious figure anymore. Specifically, and here, I'm not invoking secular... At least in, um, in that arena, right? Yes, in, at I'm least not, while like, you're doing that part. Yes, that. I'm not invoking secular... Uh, 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 narrative right here I'm, I'm, I'm of course we're all against secularism i'm just saying once you put yourself in a position that you're engaging with the government and you're doing uh intellectual work you 're not a muslim sheikh or you're not a muslim scholar anymore sherman jackson's work has been an intellectual an intellectual capacity so i can't you i can't take him as a Muslim scholar who is sitting down with Islamic books and left and right, and that's all he does all his time. Now, again, and even even if Ali, when, if Ali criticized their Islamic knowledge I would agree 100%, I'll tell Ali, this is not your area of expertise, please don't talk about it. Because I agree that Islamic knowledge should only be discussed and critiqued by most people who understand Islamic uh, uh, knowledge, right? But Ali criticized public position, he criticized social issues, he criticized CVE programs, the United Emirates relationship and Egypt relationships that caused death death of people. So, it's not about scholars and, and activists. This is a political discussion that they tried, as Ahmed mentioned, to invoke this hollow of being a scholar to, to be infallible and to not be questioned. But I want to. There's say, actually
1: another aspect of it as well, Raja, is that uh, there, there is this underlying assumption here with the UAE. And say you're an American Muslim, a prominent American Muslim scholar. And you are engaging with the UAE. The UAE is not our ruler. They're a glorified gas station in the desert, right? That, that they basically hand out bags of money. They're not, they, they don't really have, they're not our ruler at all. And so why are we treating them like they're our ruler? The other thing is the, uh, the Council of uh, Security International Studies, that's a private organization, right? It's a think tank. It is also not our ruler. If you're going over there and you're gonna be, you're gonna be uh, consulting and you're gonna be paid an honorarium or whatever the relationship is. I don't know. It's still in a capacity as a private individual working with a private organization in a business relationship, right? Uh, to affect and this this business relationship with a think tank. And this is very well known. Foreign organ, foreign governments like the UAE fund think tanks to do political advocacy on their behalf. Think tanks don't just work for themselves; they work for their donors. Um, and uh, and this is this is this is the relationship that's going on here. And to say that any type of any type of analysis that has to do with the uh, the premise that these organizations, uh, CSIS and the UAE, are our rulers is just ridiculous.
2: Guys, we have only a few minutes left, so let's go ahead and wrap up some key points that you wanted uh, to uh, mention before. Uh, we close the show. So, um, so uh, Raja, I'll start with you.
0: Sir, I, I wanted to touch upon one thing, which is the uh, uh, colonized uh, Islam. and I think that was mentioned by Ali Spieth, if I'm not mistaken, and then Imam Zaychak used it against them. Unfortunately, and the reason why he used it against Ali is because he, uh, according to him, his framework of analysis is leftist, is based on Marxist theory and and whatnot. And I think that in itself is is very dangerous. And I hear, I want to be very very clear about this. And I'm working with this uh, amazing uh, uh, Muslim young anthropologist uh, on an article to tackle some of these issues. Her name is Muniza. She's uh, uh, she's she's really upcoming uh, Muslim anthropologist. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll see the work. now we can bring her on the
2: show
0: yeah we'll definitely have him in the show inshallah that's why i'm I'm giving shout out for her uh uh, but what what i'm what i'm what i'm what i'm going to argue here is that there's a dangerous uh, uh trope that is taking place right now which is not only that Critiquing scholar, we have two ways of, uh, of, of, uh, of these, you know, political leaders who are uh, claimed to be scholars. Now, I'm not talking about, of course, these guys. I'm just talking in general, right? Is either being accused of being a, uh, a, a leftist social justice boy or girl, or whatever. Number two is that Islamically it's incorrect. And I, I just talked about it in a second. I want to talk about the first aspect, uh, quickly since I discussed Islamically that that is incorrect what is being mentioned and that invoking Ibn Taymiyyah here is, uh, it's unethical. And again, uh, Abdullah bin Diyya, ironically, Abdullah bin Biyah, if you guys know the fatwa of, of Mardin, uh, Mardin city in Turkey, uh, Abdullah bin Biya made a whole conference against Ibn Taymiyyah because of this and because of the jihad and because of these things. But that's a, a whole session we need to talk about. So it's really, as Ahmed mentioned, and more, it's when it's, uh, when it's handy to them, when it's, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh when it's, when it's convenient for them, they invoke Ibn Taymiyyah, but overall, they, they demonize this guy all the time. Anyways, so the first aspect of the the danger of accusing anybody who criticizes these political uh, uh, shady positions of, of these leaders of being accused of being Marxist or leftist and whatnot is very problematic for many reasons. Number one, all of us are living in the West currently, and all of our uh, uh, frameworks of analysis is Western. Even the invocation of family values, the discussion about how Muslims voted for Bush for family values or how we need to ally with some of the right wing because it's to, to protect ourselves from the gays and, and this and, and the feminists and all of that. And on the other hand, you have the, the leftist or the, the Muslims who are very concerned about uh, uh, social issues. There's all, all of us are coming from this framework of, of, a, of a Western uh, 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 point of view. We understand the world the way Western, uh, 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 according to uh, something called uh, Eurocentricity, where we look at the world from a, a European point of view. And that's problematic. So, because everything we do currently, unfortunately, is within the binary of left versus the right. Right. So, if Ali criticizes the scholars, then he's on the leftist. And if if leftist, uh, if uh, someone on the left uh, uh, criticizes the moral campus of Muslims, then he is, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, if one on the right, of uh, someone criticizes the the moral issues in the left, then he is on the right wing. And that's very problematic because not only is uh, uh, we are invoking or are we getting involved in uh, in the culture. Worlds in America, but we are removed, we are becoming anti intellectual, uh, uh, we become anti intellectualism, and we become a religion of elites where we. We're uh, setting up
2: our uh, parameters of discussion within the American political context.
0: Exactly. And that's Hmm. very problematic because it was a a character assassination to Ali and and Ahmad Sheikh to to say that if they criticize CV, criticize Sherman Jackson, then they are leftist. But here, let's be very clear. The best ones, and I'm going to say this as someone who considers himself an Islamist, the best framework of analysis against Western colonialism, Western imperialism, Western uh, capitalism is the Marxist and the leftist framework, right? Me saying this doesn't mean I believe in Marxism and believe in communism, and believe in socialism, but it's a reality that capitalism evolved in the West, and the best people to critique something that is involved, evolved next door is the people who live with them and understand them sayed qutb for instance he criticized both socialism and capitalism correct Be- but even his criticism to so- to, so- to capitalism is not as deep as as, as socialist and, and Marxist right because he doesn't live in the West he doesn't understand that he did not live that that ram- ramification of ca- of the danger of capitalism so in, in invoking these kind of uh, 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 demonization of Muslim youth anytime the uh criticize political uh, positions of leaders is very dangerous because right. it plays the goal the same game when women complain about uh, oppression our community we accuse them of being feminists and when uh, when uh, muslims criticize uh, y- young ones criticize uh, uh, political shady, shady uh, political positions the muslim people we we accuse them of being a leftist same way when those on the extreme left accuse Muslims who believe in Islam that they're homophobes and they are misogynist and they're uh, uh, patriarchal and all all of that nonsense so both of these extremes are problematic and it's not only that the left are taking people away from Islam, the right in the Muslim community are also taking women and and people away from Islam because they keep telling them you have no say, you you, you have no legitimacy in complaining about internal oppression or internal issues with the muslim community so what i'm arguing here is that this simplification of the process this anti-intellectualism that is happening is very dangerous and this concept of only working within the binary of left versus right is 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 dangerous and we take a small example here quickly to deliver my point which is and i'll end with this is that the concept of for instance uh, uh to just explain that there is a dangerous, uh, uh, way of analyzing things. If we look at, uh, decriminalization of marijuana, right? in the left or those in the liberal sphere political sphere they say that the reason to de uh, uh, decriminalize mar- uh, marijuana is because of uh, the corruption in the criminal in the criminal system the, the corruption in the justice system that for the most part the people who are suffering the most from these laws are the poor which is mostly blacks and latinos which is absolutely true now the problem on on some of the muslims who see an issue with decriminalizing marijuana is they they adopt right wing Propaganda against decriminalizing marijuana, and they say marijuana is haram, and we should not be decriminalizing it, which I agree is haram and it's wrong. However, the issue here, we as Muslims, is that we either identify with the right or the left. Either no, it's haram, and we should not be looking at the the criminal, uh, uh, the, the the issues with criminal ju- with the criminal justice against black people and and, and uh, poor people, right? We're not looking at that. We always saying it's haram, but we're not looking at the social economic and, and social political issues with the, with not decriminalizing it, keeping these thousands of black men in in jails, right? But the Islamic way would be we are against the, the decriminalization of marijuana and we need to come up with other policy changes that bring in justice to the, to the poor black kids who are, who are who are who are thrown in jail, and we need to uh, to 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 create some kind of reform in the judicial system to make sure that not only are we paying back those who suffered from these from these uh, 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 bad uh, criminal laws uh, uh, for for black people, we're just saying that we followed the left and right. I'm not sure if I'm making myself clear. For yeah. some reason, I'm, my my thoughts are getting mixed up. But basically, that we're always stuck to the left or right. Either haram, or it's not haram, but we're not discussing the social, political aspect of it. And this is the dangerous part. When we discuss it, they tell us, "Are oh, you a leftist?" If, but if at the same time, if we say, "No, I need to follow the moral position," are yeah. uh, you a right wing? So what I'm ar- what I'm urging is that we stop. We need to stop working with this in this dichotomy of left versus right. Yes, uh, 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 mer- the marijuana criminal laws are not fair. And they are biased against black people and Latinos. But the solution to this is not to, in my humble opinion, is not to decriminalize. Because, again, it's haram and halal. Uh, uh, but to find another way to uh, for liberation for black people who are thrown in jail. And to find other mechanisms to make sure that uh, uh, the black people are not suffering as usual because of any criminal laws. So yeah I think what you're saying
3: oh, is very simple. That... Uh, we don't have to always find an answer in the left or right. Meaning we have our own answers from Islam. We can work within the framework of the left and right. But we have our own moral positions within Islam. Exactly. And we can provide an alternative. Not, and We don't have to fit in the mold of left and right. Some yes. of our opinions within Islam fall to the right. Some fall to the left. But our main premise should be that it's rooted within and, Islam.
0: Unfortunately, because yeah. of the, the leftists are all, all about social justice, that we think that their position is incorrect because they have no moral campus like Muslims, which is true. We follow the right wing, and that's very dangerous. And I think that's more dangerous than actually listening to some of the leftist list- criticism and analysis of, of capitalism. But, and I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah that, that,
2: that's always been a consistent theme of our show that we we reject both ends of the spectrum. We it, we, we align with wh- whoever is on the truth, whoever is aligning with our um, uh, core values. We engage in the in the same method that the prophets saw some engaged society with he didn't align with a certain segment of of the uh, the Khureshi society he engaged with everyone he wanted to establish justice and uh we'll we'll leave it there guys thank you so much this evening i i'm sorry we are completely are out of time, time. so uh Ahmed, Ahmed, you have, can you get uh, in, sorry, in, in, in you, can you get <laughs> in you got two minutes all right no, Ahmed, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ahmed, Go you got two minutes so yeah right um one thing,
1: one thing about, uh, one thing I would say though is, um, uh, we need to, we need to make sure and strengthen, um, the people who are going to be our, te- who are teachers and scholars of Islam, even though we might have not have a very strong infrastructure there. We need to actually strengthen that. Um, what makes people leave Islam? I mean, I think there is a lot of undue scapegoating of, uh, leftists or activists or people that are, you know, sort of progressive activists within the Muslim community. It's, uh, the, the problem that I see is when we have scholars that are doing things that could potentially make a mockery of Islam. And I think when people look at scholars um, as as people they cannot trust, then that's a problem. I'm in a regulated profession, right? If I were to go out to an emergency room uh, in a a major metropolitan area and hand out business cards to people uh, who just got injured from a big accident, um, that would bring my profession into disrepute, and I would actually get. Um, I can get into a lot of trouble. But I'll tell some, you this much:
2: I, a lot of people. I know, we we engage with both ends. We we talked a lot of the people right. who follow scholars and activists. They the people who follow the scholars, and then they're very you know uh, very much uh, aligned with the, with that end of the spectrum. They say, you know, what, we want to see more from the activist side we want to see condemnations of Linda Sarsour when she's marching on the the Gay Pride parade or whatever uh, and uh, or uh, whatever uh, Ilhan Omar doing uh, other sure. other things and they want to see things like that where they can trust us enough to have um uh, they, they they can value our judgment on, on and perspectives on things i that, think uh, i
1: think you need to you they, they, if we if we strengthen if we strengthen the the ulama right if we if we actually get more of a sense of why, what right what's right and wrong as opposed to well whatever the ulama does is is correct and we don't have any ability to question them and they can go out and complete make complete fools of themselves out there in the world um i think that is a bigger problem i'm not saying that people out there making incorrect statements or, or misrepresenting the deen is a problem but if they're lay people um it doesn't i don't think that that's much of a threat yeah. right if they are if there are scholars of islam and I, there's I nobody underst- else, yeah there's no i no understand
2: scholars. that point as well but the the thing right. is what we as activists are we're we're right. trying to get credibility because right now you know the the cards are we don't we don't have the major platforms that that scholars do we don't have sure. we don't have the um the long ijazas and and whatnot so when we don't have that working for us we the people will still respect us, but they want to see. Us making sure that we are um, we we're very much grounded in the faith. And the I think that's valid. I think know? that's and valid. I think but, that, but for yeah. us to
1: be actually grounded is that we need to have relationships. You have relationships. I have relationships with people that we trust that are knowledgeable about Islam. Um, not everybody is as fortunate as we are, right? But yeah. uh, but if we if we have more people that are that are as fortunate as we are that have those relationships. Yeah. Um, a strong ulama. I think that you're
0: going to have a better activist class. Absolutely. Wonderful. All right,
2: guys. Thank you so much I, for really, yeah. I'm,
0: well, I'm sorry. Really quickly. Really quickly. Yeah. Someone sent me a text message. Uh, uh, someone is saying that I say that uh, Marxism or socialism is the best answer to colonialism. I did definitely did not say no, that. I, I never say, say that. that. No. I say <laughs> that the best critique. Of mm-hmm. colonialism and capitalism is coming from Marxist theories because all the time Muslims yeah have that's capital been- um, Karl Marx's book he's wrote a f- whole book about this exactly so we are always being subjects to colonialism so we don't understand it from the mindset of colonizers like 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 uh, so, uh, Marxists do because they lived with colonizers so. Critique is different than response. To me, the response is always Islamic resistance. And that's it. One, well, other,
1: one other thing is everybody become a member of ISNA. Let's just,
0: just do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it over. <laughs> take over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Michelle, hey, he, he's half kidding, half serious. So I, I'm sure. Hey, no, hey, I think, how about I really think that you wait,
3: should. I wait, mean, wait, you think wait ISNA a minute, is that relevant? Tell us, it. us the
2: real yeah. issue here. If we
3: all swarm in and take over ISNA, will you be the president? Will we get leverage in this
2: thing? <laughs> Inshallah. I want to be able to
3: get a platform on Isna if I help you get in. Inshallah, <laughs> well, we can do it. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <TV, laughs> yeah. No, I get you. I get you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I think Muslims should not. I, I think all, all of us should yeah. look to that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, these things are, are avenues for us to meet and exchange ideas. And we shouldn't right. let them die out. We should be able to, if we have a critique of it, let's get involved, put our ideas out there. And, you know, hopefully, if it is a shura, we can get our, our, our position
0: heard and, and just move it the way we want to move it.
1: Right, right. And then yeah. we can also throw tomatoes if we feel I, I, like it. But I, really like that, I
0: really like I really like that. Ahmed Cheikh is, is planning a coup against ISNA leadership like <laughs> on, on, on Madman. Leadership. You heard it first yeah.
2: on the Mad Mamouks. Guys, activists or scholars alike, help us out on patreon.com backslash the Mamouks. This cannot be supported without your effort. Uh, your your support cannot uh, enables this effort to happen. Please help us out on patreon.com backslash the Madam Luke's and uh what else uh, oh there's also um the Madam Luke's backslash donate thank you all this evening um ahmad rajas much thanks uh, don't
3: forget to sp- subscribe to muzzy buzz the other channel
2: yes more muzzy new channel muzzy buzz help us out on that as well <laughs> and, and make sure when you guys are subscribing on this channel hit the alert button so that you're notified every time you go live for my co host more <laughs> my guest ahmed and raja my name is sim we'll see y'all next time assalamualaikum <laughs>